0: We celebrate being in church together today. I appreciate that. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. If you're brand new to ACF, you're hired. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. If you're new to ACF, we're so glad that you're with us today. Uh, it's been a little gloomy. We got a little sunshine kind of poking out in Alaska. So that's. Really great as well, uh, but summer is just moving forward, and we're actually excited about what's coming here in a couple months, even into this fall for ACF Church. Uh, God's gonna, I, I think, do some incredible things in our community. We are kind of positioning our ministries really to be reaching our city in some new ways this fall, and and, and the big vision is is really this that uh, we would just help people who are close to us but far from God get a little closer to God this fall. And so I want you to just be praying for your friends uh, if, if you haven't been. Uh, you should start, by the way. If you haven't been praying for your friends, this is a great chance to kind of think ahead, but you got two months uh, before the fall hits, and then we're going to be launching into our fall ministries. We're also launching a fourth gathering coming into September, which is really exciting, and, uh, and it's good news to be able to do that, to be able to reach out and to, to make more room for our friends and our neighbors to show up. Uh, but if you're excited about that, here's my encouragement to you. Sign up to serve. We we need your help to make this happen. Join a team. Go out to the welcome table after service, and uh, there is a place for you to help make this happen. Also, for me, this is my last sermon for a couple months. I'm actually taking a sabbatical. I've been talking about this for a couple weeks. The lead team prayed for me and my family last week. And uh, again, if you're if you're new to ACF and you're like, what is that all about? Nothing negative is going on. It seems like when pastors take sabbaticals, people are always like, oh, he's burning out. I'm doing good. Trust me, I'm I'm really doing well. Our family's doing well, and we have this really gracious, generous lead team who wants us to continue to do well. And they said, "Hey, with all that's coming into this fall in uh, in this year, we actually want to send you out on a vacation and just to take some time to rest, some time to uh, reacquaintance yourself with God, and just some time as a family to reconnect." And so that's what we're gonna do, and we're stoked about it. We're really excited. We're gonna be around. Thank you, thank you for that. Yeah, we, we came up to Alaska 13 years ago with a five-year plan, and uh, some of you know what that's like. It just, Alaska gets in your bones, and then before you know it, you're a lifer, and man, this is the longest I've ever lived anywhere in my life. So we, we're just planted here. We love our church. Really, we love Alaska, but more than anything, the reason we're here is you guys. Just so you know that. Like, we are here because, because of this, this community that we have uh, as a church family. We love you so much. We have our deepest friendships here and our deepest community here in Eagle River. And so, what a gift it's been to be a part of this, this journey uh, that our church has been on. Uh, so, we are, we are in a series called Hold Fast. And it's been a journey through 1 Corinthians, and we're really walking through it book by book, verse by verse, And I'll tell you what, it's been exciting. We've covered some ground, y'all. If you have not been around, I encourage you to go back and watch the past eight sermons because we have covered a lot of different topics because that's what Paul does as he speaks to this church that he's planted in Corinth that is, is really acting in ways that don't look much different than the world. And once again, Corinth, is a, it's a really depraved city. It's a port city, lots of coming and going, people moving through. And, and, and it's also a city full of idolatry. And you see the church, these, these young Christians kind of starting to live like the world instead of the world being shaped by the church. And so Paul's going, hey, hold fast to your faith. When everything around you is, is changing and, and drifting with the waves, hold fast, fast to your faith in Jesus. Um, Before I get into the text here today, I want to start you with with this. I don't know if this is a warning or just a caveat or whatever, but um, I think the message today, it's ironic that, that what I'm talking about here today, God goes before us and plans for us. And as I was preparing my message this week, I'm like, there are high odds of you misunderstanding me. Um, as I speak, I just want to start off with that. There's going to be a temptation to misunderstand what I'm saying, but I, I promise you it's going to come together in the end. And so don't leave early, okay? So none of you like, I'm getting some coffee, you know, but you're piecing out to your car. Don't do that. Uh, don't leave early. It's going to come together. It's going to make sense. You're going to understand. And I think that God has something specifically for you in this text. Um, but I have been reflecting on ministry a lot. As I've been thinking about 20 years in full-time ministry, 13 years in Alaska, and uh, many of you know that I didn't start off with a plan to get into ministry. I went to school to be a uh, diesel tech and, uh, and went to school to be a mechanic. And so that, that, was, that was what I did for a while, and God just kept giving me opportunities to serve in the church, and I just kept saying yes, and it turned into this thing that I've done for a long time. I'm uh, just curious in the room, anybody here ever led a Bible study before? Is anybody in the church? A small group or anything? Okay, so a bunch of you. How about this? Um, just so I kind of understand who I'm working with, who here has ever felt a desire or a call from God that maybe someday you would be in full-time ministry? Anybody in the room? Okay, a few hands in the room. Uh, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's a thing that I never thought I'd be doing. Um, I remember when I first got into full-time ministry, I, I was even kind of like, Uh, is this something somebody does long-term? Like, do do people do this for a living? And, you know, I remember the first time that I actually got a paycheck from the church, and it felt wrong. I was like, is this, is this okay? And I got a pay, and then I gave like a bunch of it back to the church, because I'm like, okay, so it comes from the church, then I tithe back to the church, and that felt weird. And it's just this strange thing that I was working through, and and some of you are like, what is it like to be in vocational ministry? What's it like to be in full-time ministry? Because um, some of you are like, well, I'd love to be in ministry, but I have to get a real job, Brian. So, uh, you know, and I get that. And you're like, what does he even do? Does he just, like, preach on Sunday, then pray the rest of the week, you know, and uh, worship Jesus and uh, sing? Like, what does he do for a living? And what is ministry actually like? Here's what it's like. I wrote this down. Take your church, your job, your friends, your family, your calling, your hobbies, your sin, your successes, your paycheck, your failures, your boss, your employees, your spiritual doubts, your 401k, put it all in a washing machine, turn it on spin cycle, jump in, and that's what ministry's like. It's all of those things. Take everything in your life and just mix it all together. That's what it is like to be in full-time ministry. Because for you, if you work in a different career, if you are a mechanic and you maybe hate your job right now or your, you know, co-workers are driving you nuts and you're like, man, I don't want to be there, you've got your small group, right? You've got your church family over here, and you've got these two separate worlds for us in full-time ministry. It's all mixed together, you know. My best friends are my co-workers, and, and, and some are employees, and, and then trying to figure out how to have best friends in the church and also be a pastor and a spiritual mentor. It is, it's just weird, y'all. It is just a weird thing to be in ministry. And I was thinking even reflecting on the past uh, years in Alaska at ACF. When, when we moved up here, ACF was a church of about 30 people, and this was 2009, and I uh, came up to lead worship, and I started the youth ministry at ACF, and have just watched things grow and change over the years. But um, it, it just, it, there's been strange things that have happened over the years. When I first got here, there's this lady that she just, like, hated me. Hated me, right? Because I was, I was changing some things. And, and so every single day, I would come into my office in the morning, and the little red light would be flashing on my phone, that you have a voicemail. And this lady would literally read curses over me. Like, she, she found some kind of, like, the book of curses. I don't know if that exists or something. You know, you probably look it up online. But she, she would, every single day, so I'd have, like, curses and coffee uh, every single day to start my day. <laughs> and we'd just kind of laugh at this lady who would just read curses over my life. And so sometimes there are challenges with people, right? And then sometimes God does incredible things that you could have never planned. A couple months ago, a guy left church, and on his way out, here's what he said. He goes, he goes you know, I came to church today, and I had a plan to hurt myself this evening. But I heard the gospel, and now I have hope for tomorrow. And he just walked out the door. And those are the things that make you go, okay, it's worth it. Like, it's all worth it. Like, anything that's been difficult, it's worth it. There's been strange stuff that's happened, like really weird stuff over the years. Uh, I remember there was a guy, this was on a Wednesday before our Wednesday night service. This guy came to church and uh, just showed up early, a couple hours early, and asked one of our cleaning crew, like, hey, can I just sit in the auditorium? And he was like, sure. You just want to be with Jesus or what? So he's like sitting here. And then the cleaning guy comes over, and he's like, hey, how you doing? Just checking on the guy. And he's like, well, uh, the cops are looking for me. Um, so I just thought I'd try to find Jesus, you know. So he just shows up to the church. He's, he's actually a convict. The police, they looked him up online, and they're like, oh, yes, they're looking for him right now. So the I'm not making this up, the staff, we barricade ourselves in the office, they call the cops, the SWAT team shows up with the big truck, right, with all the armor, and they unload with dogs and gear and the full suits on, they storm into the building, and I'll just never forget, we're watching this out the window, the guy is, he's cuffed on the drive-thru out front, and there's a big sign that says, welcome home, behind him on our church, (laughs) and then Chris Tomlin is playing in the background, out over the parking lot. And I'm, like, I'm just like, ministry's weird. Ministry's weird sometimes. There was one 11 a.m. service one time, just a packed house, and we had this aisle up the center, and I'm preaching. I'm like, in the middle of my sermon, and this dude starts walking up the center aisle, um, which isn't a good thing to do, just in the middle of a, of a sermon. I'm just like, what's he, what's he doing? I'm getting a little nervous, and he comes up, and he pulls this baggie out of his pocket, and he dumps a bunch of weed out on my podium, <laughs> like, while I'm preaching. And I was just like, can I help you? And I just like brush this stuff off and he walks out the door just peace you know and I I just love the reactions in the room like these nice church ladies at the end were like he gave his weed to Jesus look you know and and it, it it was it was like it was like a publicity stunt for a local pot grower anyway that's he didn't give his weed to Jesus I'm sorry to say but anyway it uh ministry's weird Um, Some of you, like, wonder what I actually do, and I couldn't help it, but I I just remember these memes that were floating around a few years ago that were really popular, and so I found this one, um, pastoring. There's what my friends think I do, play golf all day. My mom thinks I just declare the end is near all day. What society thinks I do, just raking in the dollar bills, y'all. What my congregation thinks I do, just eat chicken, which I I like some chicken. Um, What I think I do, parting the Red Sea like Moses what I really do is cleaning the toilets, right? That's, and I have done this multiple times. You're welcome. So ministry is, it's interesting. And, and here's the deal. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and Paul is a full-time minister of the gospel. That's what he does. And he's traveling from city to city, planting churches, sharing the good news, preaching and teaching, and, and also correcting the local church. And right now, what we get into in this text is a text of correction. He's actually calling out the church In Corinth for their lack of support. You see, the church in Corinth is skirting their responsibilities to Paul. And so Paul's calling this out of them. He's like, hey, you're not doing what you are responsible to do, which is to support him in ministry. And and so he's he's challenging them because there there are other churches. There's church in Philippi, the church in, in in Ephesus, where like he's getting financial support, but not from the church in Corinth, which he planted. He planted this church. And so he's calling this out of them. And so here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Am, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I, I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, basically, have you guys forgotten what I did for you? Like, I planted this church. I led you to Jesus. You are, you are literally my spiritual legacy. And Paul, he worked for like 18 months to plant this church. So they know him well. And he is their pastor. And he's like, hey, have you forgotten? Like, what, what part I've had to play in your journey? But the thing is, they have. They, they've lost respect for Paul. They're not honoring Paul for what he's done to invest in their lives. And, and his first point is this, and if you have a pen, I encourage you, write this down. We are all a product of someone else's faithfulness. All of us. You would not be here today if it wasn't for someone else. Some of you are like, I kind of wish I wasn't here today. And that, that's fine. That's fine. But, but you are the product of somebody else's faithfulness. Do you remember who led you to Jesus if you're a Christian? Maybe somebody invited you to church today, and you're not so sure what you think about church. You don't know what you think about me, and that's fine. But whoever invited you here today, know this, they did it because they love you. They want something for you. They want you to understand God's deep affection for you. But maybe have we we forgotten that people have invested in our lives? Do you have anybody in your life who is just plain unaware and ungrateful for your investment into their life? I mean, nobody likes this, right? Nobody likes when people are unaware and ungrateful for other people's investment in their lives. Like, we we appreciate being acknowledged, right? And Paul is not being acknowledged for what he's done in their lives. And this can happen in ministry. I can, I, I've i felt this way and struggled with this before where like I'm helping a, cu- a couple uh, one week work through like a near divorce situation and they're arguing and fighting as a couple and I'm kind of in the middle of it with them. And then the next week I preach a sermon that they disagree with and then get a me- an email on Monday that says we're leaving the church. And it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And, and it's those times you go like, man, I think you've lost perspective. I think maybe you've lost an understanding of what's been invested, not just by me, but the, the rest of the community because of one small thing. And this can happen, and, and certainly this is happening in the church in Corinth. He, he goes on to kind of start to, to, get a, to give them a little clarity of what he's talking to them about in verse 3. He says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. So he's responding to something. Paul clearly is responding to, to some certain judgmentalism that he's getting from his church that the Christians in the church are judging Paul for something. Verse 4 goes on. It says, Don't we have the right to food and drink? So he's going to begin his argument. And he first starts off by saying, Hey, as a minister of the gospel, isn't it a good thing that I have food to eat and something to drink? Like, that's, that's kind of important to propel the ministry that I'm doing. And again, this is a group of many very young and immature believers. And the, the truth is this. Normally, one of the last things for us to surrender to God is our wallets, right? It's our finances. And so what they're doing, they're not surrendering that to God and certainly not supporting Paul. And Paul's like, hey, shouldn't I be able to have a meal (laughs) once in a while? Like, isn't it okay that I should be able to buy like a whole Denver omelet at Denny's once in a while? Like, isn't it okay that I should have something to drink to move me forward as I do ministry? And Paul's going to argue three different rights that he has. And what's interesting is last week we talked all about how we should give up our rights, right? We talked about this reality that we shouldn't ask, is it my right? We should ask, is it right? And we talked about giving—but Paul's going to say, hey, we give up our rights, but we do have rights. So we need to acknowledge those first, and then we can know what to do with those rights. So he's going to say, hey, here are my rights. And the first right that he argues is this, the right to basic needs. He's like, I should have the right— to basic needs. He's working full time, he's traveling, he's doing what he's doing, and he's saying, "Hey guys, Corinthian church, like I should be able to eat as I do the ministry that I'm being called to." And then he starts to kind of ramp up his argument in verse 5. He says he says this, "Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers in Cephas?" So, first thing you need to know about Paul is he's not married, right? And he traveled, he has traveled around with a guy named Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, two single dudes doing ministry, and the other apostles, many of which are married. And he's saying, hey, second right is this, the right to have enough to support a family and even to have a wife travel with him. So first right is just to eat and and drink. The second is like, hey, enough to support a family and to have a wife travel with him if he were to want one, right? So you almost hear it in Paul's voice, like, I don't have a wife, but maybe it'd be nice someday, right? Maybe I should find a wife, and maybe that'd be good, and if it did, it'd be nice for her to be able to travel doing ministry with me, which, side note, would probably be a good thing for any pastor, right? Like, like, if I travel, I try to take Amanda with me as much as I can, because many of the things that you see on the news and pastoral scandals that happen out there when pastors travel or people are out of town could be kind of like, I think, I think stopped because their spouse was with them, right? Right? Like, it's always good to have your spouse with you when you travel. It's part of why, again, Corinth was such a broken city was because there was a lot of travelers traveling alone, away from home, making poor choices, right? So he's like, hey, wouldn't it be good if I, if I was, like, traveling with a wife if I had one? Like, I, I, I should have a right to that. And then he goes on in verse 6, Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? So him and Barnabas, again, two single dudes. He's like, hey, the single guys are getting gypped. We're not getting your support. And when he says not work for a living, he's not saying that ministry isn't a job. He's just saying to not have an outside source of income, which is interesting because Paul, we know, is a tent maker, right? He has other ways of making uh, making money, but he's like, I have a right to be supported by you. And so the right the third right that he argues is a right to earn a living through ministry. So interesting. Paul's like, hey, two single guys, we're not getting the support we need, you know, we're not we're not getting what we need from you to, to eat. What if we want wives someday? Like, they couldn't come with us. And, and as he's making this point, it's almost like Paul can hear the arguments already coming. It's like he can feel the discomfort in the room, like I think I can feel right now. Like, he's like, I can almost hear what you're going to say back to me. And so he starts to make a case. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? So curious, just uh, be honest in the room. Who here is in the military? Anybody, soldiers in the room? Okay, like half, half the room. Acf's like 75% military. So he's saying, like, like for you, when you got into the military and you showed up to boot camp, they didn't say bring your own boots, right? They said, we're going to issue you some boots. We're going to give you clothing to wear. And then when you get your job, you might get issued a weapon or some other gear. And then, and then you're going to get paid for your job, right? Like, I don't know if anybody here was like, I'd like to go and be in the military and work full time and maybe die for my country for free. That's what I'd like to do. No, no, of course not. Like he, he's saying, hey, you serve in the military, you do it uh, for a living, right? He goes on and says, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? So he's saying, hey, there are soldiers, then there are farmers, and we know that farmers typically eat pretty well, right? And, and I grew up in a farming family. One thing I know that farmers do really well is they eat because they're farmers, right? Farmers don't tend to go hungry because their food is either, like, coming up out of the ground or walking around somewhere. Like, there's food around there somewhere. He's like, hey, isn't it okay that the guy who runs a vineyard can eat some grapes once in a while? And he says, who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? So our farm growing up was actually a dairy farm. And at the end of a day, we would often take a pitcher and we'd go down to the milking parlor where there was this huge uh, stainless steel tank and I'd open up this valve on the bottom of the tank, and I'd get a gallon of brand new, fresh milk out of the bottom of the tank, and that would be on my Cheerios the next morning. And some of you are like, gross, but anyway, it was good. It was good. Like, it tasted good. I learned to like it. And so, again, he's saying, like, you're investing in something, and you don't starve because you're investing in that thing. Like, isn't that understandable, right? He's making a case for that. He's saying, it's, you don't think it's weird when the soldier gets a paycheck for serving his country. No, of course not. You don't think it's weird when the guy running the vineyard eats some grapes. No, of course not. You don't think it's weird when a farmer gets some milk. Like, that's not weird. And it's something that's, that's normal and accepted. What's his point? I think it's this. That it honors God to enjoy the fruit of your labor. That it actually honors God when you enjoy the fruit of your labor. That, that, that's that's Okay. Now, when I say that, I, I immediately think of two false gospels that we talk about all the time. The first is the, uh, the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel says if you follow God and you're faithful to God, you will be rich. Like, like you should have anything and everything you could ever want or need or imagine because you're following God. That's the prosperity gospel, and that is a lie. Like, that is, that is a lie. Like, we follow a homeless guy that, that uh, usually slept out under the stars, skipped a lot of meals, and then was crucified as a criminal. So, I mean, that's, that's our leader, is that guy. So I promise you that following God can lead you to crucifixion and can lead you to sacrifice and lead you to living on very, very little. But there's also a version of this uh, that isn't as much talked about, and it's the poverty gospel. And the poverty gospel says that if you follow God and you're faithful, faithful to his call in your life, you will be poor because Jesus was poor, right? <laughs> like you will live on absolutely nothing. And some of you, you don't even know it, but you've bought into this because um, you feel bad for what you have sometimes. Like you, you feel shame sometimes because like you went on that mission trip when you were in high school and went, were around people who didn't have running water or enough food to eat. And then when you go out to eat, you just like you, like, you feel bad about it. Like you can't even enjoy a little Wendy's, you know, chicken sandwich because when you eat it, you're like, oh, somebody's starving somewhere and I should be giving this away, right? Just so you know that, that, again, is a false gospel, a poverty gospel. Like God provides in, in abundance for, for one and then in another person who might call you to live in, in more of an impoverished state based on the call in your life. Either one can be obedience to God. I have friends who literally feel shame every time uh, they take a vacation because it costs money, and they're like, shouldn't it go to feed people? And again, I think we can honor God by enjoying the fruit of our labor when we've been faithful to Him financially. Like, when we've been faithful to Him financially, you don't have to worry about it. Like, you're doing what God is asking you to do, and then you can do what God wants you to do also with the rest of it. It's all God's anyway, right? Now, this is interesting because it makes you kind of start, as Paul's talking about some, as somebody in ministry, like, it makes you think, well, well, how does this affect people in ministry? And the question I have as I'm, as I'm reading this is like, well, how much should somebody in ministry make? Which here's what I've learned is that um, almost every Christian has an opinion about how much a pastor should make for a living. This is interesting. Like, I've been sitting around campfires before and heard conversations come out where people are arguing about how much people in ministry should make for a living. And it's, it's like a sociological experiment. It's really interesting to hear people's different perspectives because you've always got the guy whose dad was a pastor, and he remembers dad, you know, writing sermons till 2 in the morning and, you know, doing counseling on Saturday morning and then a funeral Saturday night and then a wedding on Sunday and then preaching, all this stuff. So he's like, you know what? I think pastors should be the most wealthy people in the community like, pay them well. And then you've got somebody over here who's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're a little de-churched. Maybe they've seen uh, churches uh, make some bad financial decisions. Maybe they had a pastor who ran off with a bunch of money at some point. So they're like, I think uh, keep them poor, keep them humble, right? Just keep him, keep him, like, don't give him too much of that temptation, right? Like, just protect the pastor by making sure he can't pay the bills, right? So, that, and then you've got somebody in the middle who's like, well, how much should you pay a pastor? Uh, just as long as it's less than what I make. That's, that's just a dollar less than my paycheck. That's, you guys aren't laughing a whole lot, but this is a conversation <laughs> that really, ha- I'm not making this stuff up. This is conversations that I have I've heard, and it's interesting, people don't have these same arguments about any other industry. In the ch- like, I never hear a bunch of Christians sitting around going, how much should dental hygienists make? And they all have opinions about it, because they assume that they're factors that they don't understand, it's an industry they're not aware of, like, I don't know, like maybe this or that. But it's interesting, we do have strong opinions when it comes to people in ministry. He goes on in verse 8, he says, do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. In other words, Paul's like, hey, doesn't the law say we don't restrict an ox's ability to eat when it's producing something to feed us? Like, like we, don't, we, we actually don't want to restrict it. We actually want to, to make sure it's fed well because it's, it's feeding us, right? We want to feed the thing that's feeding us. So we want to make sure it's fed well and care for the animal and make sure it's really well cared for. And this is, a, this is something I learned spending the summers on the farm growing up. Um, there's, there's one rule that you do not break and that I, I was taught very young not to break on the farm with my grandfather. And the rule is this, that, the, that you don't eat until the animals eat. That was the rule. And if you wanted to tick off my grandfather, he would wake up at 6, a, 6 a.m., come out to the kitchen, and I'd be sitting there eating a jelly donut before the animals had been fed, I mean, he would knock that thing out of my hand and be like, you will feed the animals because they can't feed themselves. You are responsible for them. Again, this is, Paul is getting at this idea of responsibility. He's getting at this idea that, that, that it's, it's, it's okay to have responsibilities. In fact, it's good to have responsibilities. And what's interesting is that when we think of responsibilities, what we think is, I want less of them, right? Like, did, did anybody wake up here this morning and go, I wish I had more responsibilities in my life But what's interesting is that most of us in the room today would say, I wish people in my life were more responsible, wouldn't we? Like, does anybody here wish their boss was a little less responsible at paying your paycheck? Like, once in a while they remembered, and other times they're like, I don't know, whoops, you know? Like, like, does any parent wish their kids were a little less responsible, right? Does any child wish wish their parents were less responsible, right? Right? Of course not, and yet we tend to think that responsibilities are a negative thing. Paul is saying, no, 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 you have responsibilities, church, and those responsibilities actually lead to flourishing in your life, that they lead to the peace that you're looking for in your life, that peace and freedom does not come from skirting your responsibilities. It comes from living your responsibilities out faithfully, as God calls you to those things. And he's saying, hey, hey, church, you have responsibilities you need to own them. You need to do these things. And one of the things I also learned uh, when I was working as a mechanic, I actually worked for my father-in-law for a little while. He owned a diesel repair shop in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And one of the things the shop had was a 24-hour service truck. So anytime you could call the shop at 3 a.m. if you had a flat tire, and, and then every night, the phone would be forwarded to one of the uh, mechanic's. And so if you were on that night, at 2 a.m., you might get a phone call to be called out of bed to go change a tire somewhere out on I-80 in the middle of the wintertime. It's interesting, we actually were fighting over being on call when we worked at the shop. All the employees were like, no, I want to be on the call, I want to be on call, because when you were on call, you got paid really well. Like, like, you got the call-out fee, which was like a couple hundred bucks. You got half of the labor fee. You got like a percentage of the parts. Like, when you got called out, it could be to change a light bulb on a truck at the port of entry, you were going to make like three or four hundred bucks. It was really good. So we're fighting over it. Well, Cliff, my father-in-law, he's sitting at breakfast one day with another local shop owner. He's telling me about this. And the other local shop owner has a 24-hour service truck. And he asked Cliff, he says, hey, Cliff, how do you get your guys to get out of bed in the morning? Like, how do you get them to show up in the middle of the night to go on these service calls? And Cliff's like, I pay him this, I pay him this, I pay him that. And the guy literally spits out his coffee and says, what? I would never pay that to my guys. And Cliff's like, that's probably why they won't get out of bed, you know? Here's the deal. Here's the the point. And I, I think this is just a general life lesson, is that you are always best served by being generous toward those who serve you. You are always best served by being generous to those who serve you. You can test this out today. Here's a way to test it. When you leave here, if you go out to lunch, you go to a restaurant, you sit down at the table. When the waitress comes up to take your order, I want you to put a $50 bill on the table. And I want you to tell that waitress, hey, that's your tip at the end, as long as everything goes well. Right? Question, how would your service be at dinner? Amazing, right? Like, your water would never get below this, like, an inch from the top of the glass. She'd be coming up and giving you, like, extra handfuls of french fries or whatever, and bringing you, how are you doing, ma'am? How are you doing, sir? Are you doing well today? So fine. It's a great day. Like, you would get the best service. Why? Because you're always served best by serving those who serve you. You're always served best by being generous to those who serve you. How about as as a co-worker? Are there people at work with you that... Um, you depend on their success. Like, your success depends on their success. What if on Monday morning, you brought the Krispy Kremes for once, right? Like, like instead of just being the one that eats the Krispy, you were the one that served them. Like, how would that, how would that serve you long-term? Like, maybe they go a little extra mile for that project that you need information from them on. Maybe they'd stay a little bit later. for It would serve you best, right? Teenagers. I just, I'll, Every teenager in the room, look at me you have no idea what your parents are giving up for you. You just have no idea. You have no idea the sacrifices your parents make for you. You have no idea the amount of turmoil that they deal with to try to care for you. Like, you have no idea. What if you served those who serve you so generously? And just, like, like what if you just emptied the dishwasher today? In the name of Jesus, I speak it (laughs) over the whole church Without any request, the dishwasher's empty in every home. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's just empty today (laughs) in the name of the Lord. Like, what if you did that? I just, here's the deal. I think it would serve you well to serve those generously that serve you. And we don't do it to be served. I'm just telling you, it will result in a much better situation. He goes on and he says, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Like, is this whole ox, muzzling the ox thing really about animals? No. It's not about that. He says, surely, he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Paul's like, I have invested in you, church. Is it too much to ask that you would invest in me? Is is that really a problem as we look at this? Paul says, hey, when you go to your job, you know, on a Monday morning, and maybe it's just a terrible day at work, the thing that you have in your mind at the end of the day is, at least I'm going to get a paycheck, right? Like, man, everything went wrong. It just fell apart, but at least I know I'm going to get paid. He's like, it's no different for him, is the argument that he makes. Now, I'll stop for a moment. I'm just going to pause. Some of you here are just like, what is this sermon even about? Does Brian need a raise? Like, uh, are we not taking care of him? What's the deal? No, no, no. Like, Praise God, we're doing good. Like, our church cares well for all the people in ministry here. That's not what this is about. You may be tempted, to, I think, to misunderstand the point of this entire message. Paul is talking about their responsibilities. He is a pastor. He loves them. And like any pastor or any parent, when the people that we're caring for are not fulfilling their responsibilities, we know it's not what's best for them. We know it's not going to serve them well long-term. And the reason I felt like it's so important for us to talk about this today, especially in the realm of finances, is because one of the most common reasons that I hear that people don't want to go to church or that people leave the church is this statement. The church just wants my money. You ever heard this before? You ever You're like, yep, said it a couple minutes ago. <laughs> While you were, I just whispered it under my breath to my, to my wife. Like, yeah maybe you've heard this before, said that the church... Now, it's an interesting statement. Like, what does this actually mean when we say the church just wants my money? First of all, what is the church? The church is the people of God, right? So when we make an accusation of the church, what we're doing is making an accusation of the people of God. So it's you saying everybody in this room that's a Christian wants you here just for your money. Uh, Question, is that true? It's not true. It's not true. The church doesn't just want your money that's not, but, but we can feel this way many times, and I will tell you this, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I believe that this is one of the most common diversionary tactics in Christianity today because we don't want to be convicted. We don't, we don't want to be convicted, right? We don't want to deal with what's in our hearts so it's much easier to say, the church just wants my money and bow out, right? Now, I'm going to make a statement. I probably need some chicken wire in front of me here like Blues Brothers, but here's 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 what I believe. Is that when we don't want conviction, we make an accusation of manipulation. I'm going to say it again. When we don't want conviction, what we tend to do is make an accusation of manipulation. We shoot the messenger, right? We try to find a way to go, well, it's, it's you're making this about you. It's not really about me. It's like this. When, when someone calls us to change, if we don't want to change, we just call them legalistic, Right? When someone calls out our sin, if we don't want to get rid of the sin, we just call them judgmental. Oh, they're just judging me. They're just judgmental, right? When someone calls us to sacrifice, if we don't want to sacrifice, we just call them manipulative. This must be about you. This isn't about me. And, And again, this is why Paul says, hey, I'm speaking to those who are casting judgment on me because you don't understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. You are missing the whole point Of what I'm encouraging you to do, and some of you in the room today might be dealing with that tension of like, man, yeah, Brian, I think I'm missing your point because I'm frustrated with this sermon. I think this is about you, but the thing is, it might go deeper than the church just wants my money. And most people don't say this, um, but but here's what maybe some people think is it's not the church. They would say the pastor just wants my money. It's really, it's not the church, Brian. It's, it's you. Here's what I've learned, is that when I step on the stage, I become a lightning rod for everybody's church hurt. Everybody's spiritual experiences, everybody's experience with the church, everybody's experience with Christian, it kind of gets, gets layered onto me as a pastor, and I'm, that's just the reality. I'm okay with it, but it just, it's the reality. And I've learned a long time ago, like the only two opinions that matter to me about my life are my wife's and the Lord's. Like, that's it. It's the only two opinions that matter. Everything else is going to shift and change. But I've learned that. It's like when I'm on an airplane and somebody asks me what I do, I'm always like, this could get really weird or be really good. It's a a toss-up when I say I'm a pastor, right? Because all of their experiences are kind of layered in on the guy with a microphone, right? And here's the deal. This is really the challenge for pastors in general, is that when you're in vocational ministry, or I would say if you're a pastor at all, you are actually called to preach the totality of the Scriptures. That's why we're going through a whole book of the Bible. That's why we're talking about this today. I would not have chosen this as my last sermon before two months of taking a break, but this is where we're at, okay? But we are called to preach the totality of the Scriptures. What that means is that I can't be faithful to God unless I talk about things like tithing, giving, generosity, feeding the poor, and supporting the local church. So what I've learned there in the end, is that if people don't want God's conviction, they will question the messenger's intention. It's always easier to cast stones at the person speaking than it is to listen to conviction. And, and again, you, again, if we don't know each other, you have to acknowledge that, like, we don't know each other. You really have nothing to work on except for this sermon and, and <laughs> this context of this scripture. And so we have, to, we have to get to know each other before we cast any kind of understanding of where people are coming from. And that is a tendency is to, again, shoot the messenger. I've done this before where I didn't want to hear the truth from somebody, and I've cut off the friendship. And they were the only loving people that were willing to tell me the truth. And so the easier thing is just to go, ah, no, you're just trying to judge me. Just cut the friendship off. Here's uh, the reality, because I do know when we talk about things like this and giving through ministry, especially supporting pastors, that there are true stories of scandals in churches, right? Some of you have been a part of those things, and you have real wounds, from poor choices and from sin from leaders in the church. And so I want to acknowledge that that is real. It's real. And say, I'm so sorry that that has happened to you. But here's what you need to know is that those things are not the rule. They are the exception to the rule. Do you know that right now in the United States, there are about 400,000 churches? 400,000 and in each of those churches is probably at least one, if not many, pastors and church leaders that serve faithfully every single day, and you will never hear about them on the news. You will never hear their story. And honestly, that's, that's my goal, is to live a life and serve in ministry and just disappear. Like, I never want a story worthy of the news, amen? <laughs> like, let's never have that. And here's the thing, like, but that's what we hear about. Oh, yeah, churches just steal money. I said, this pastor over here bought a jet he didn't need, and this guy over here, you know, stole some money. And so we just say, well, then churches are untrustworthy. 400,000 churches, pastors, leaders serving faithfully every day. I'll tell you this. <laughs> I don't think Discovery Plus is working on a new special to come out here in September about faithful pastors serving in ministry in the United States. I don't think they're working on it. Why? Because that doesn't sell. That's a story nobody wants to read. That's, that's a boring story. Sign me up for boring, by the way. Let's sign AC up for boring. But, but you need to know that, like, that stuff does exist, but it is the exception to the rule. So maybe you think, man, the church just wants my money. God, or the, the pastor just wants my money. But I think the deeper thing sometimes we feel is that God just wants my money. Like, deeper, we, we go, I think God just wants something from me here's the, you need to know this, is that salvation is the moment that you realize that God wants nothing from you and gives you everything simply by his good grace. Salvation is the moment that you try to bring things to God as if you can bring something to God that he can't bring to himself, like, right? As if our, our, our measly gifts that we give to God, as if God's impressed by that, as if he can't create anything at any moment for himself, to bring glory to himself. We, we bring nothing to the table. And that is the gospel, you guys. The gospel is that moment that you realize that like everything you've tried to bring to the table, like it's all just trash. And that's what Paul says. Like I consider everything I bring to the table just trash in, in, in comparison to the goodness and the glory of God and everything that he gives me. Like it's, it's worthless. And yet God says, hey, bring it faithfully, not to earn my love, but because of my deep and gracious love for you. Like that when when you finally get that and you're like okay I can just receive freely from God that is that moment of salvation. You see God doesn't want your money He just wants your heart friends He really does. And here's the thing uh, have you ever heard the phrase that the way to a man's heart is through his what stomach That's not true It's not biblical by the way like although I do love some good food but the way to a man's heart is not through his stomach Jesus teaches that the way to a man's heart is through his wallet. That's what he teaches. He says this, Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, we tend to think like where my heart goes, there my treasure goes. But that's not what he says. He says where your treasure goes, there your heart goes. In other words, put your treasure where you want your heart to be. Right? Right? Like, like, how many of you know that, like, where your finances are, there is your affection and your attention, right? Like, some of you are checking, checking stocks right now in church because you are invested. I know what that's like. Like, I never owned any kind of investments back when I was, like, you know, in college. And so I had friends that would check the stock market. I'm like, who cares, man? As soon as I had some investments, I was, like, all day long scrolling, man, how the stock's doing. You know, what's going on today? Why? Because I was invested. Where your treasure is, there your heart will go also. Paul's, Paul's saying, Jesus is saying, like, the same is true in the church. If you're like, man, why don't I really want to go to church very often? Maybe it's because you're not invested. Maybe it's because you're not pouring yourself in there. Now, who's ready for me to take that sabbatical, right? Like, you can just go on your little break, Brian. That's good. That's good. Get out of my, get out of my business. Okay, let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 9, 12. He says, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? I think what Paul is saying is that the church in Corinth, they're supporting other ministries and other people in ministry, but not Paul, their local ministry. Not Paul, their, lo- their, their pastor that planted that church, that, that is the one that invested in them for 18 months. They're, they're going after these other projects and these other things where, honestly, it's probably like they can be the hero, which is things that we tend to, to fall into. Now, people ask me this sometimes, Brian, what do you think about giving to outside ministries? And I think It's great. Many of you know that we support Compassion International. We sponsor almost 1,000 kids here at ACF Church. We love giving to other ministries. But what Paul is saying is not at the expense of the local church. It'd be a little bit like this. It'd be like, let's say your neighbor comes over, and they're like, man, I had this bad water leak. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I got to fix this hole in my ceiling in my kitchen and remodel my kitchen now. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you get to say, hey, man, I'll take care of that for you. Pay for the whole thing. So let's say you help your neighbor remodel their whole kitchen, and you come home, and your wife's like, hey, do we have any money for groceries? And you're like, no, I just remodeled my neighbor's kitchen. And she's like, you idiot, right? And again, like, this is what it's like. is like, we don't want to support the local house of God. We want to go do the, the, the big ministries and become the hero. And again, like, this is Paul saying, hey, not just if others have that right of support from you, shouldn't we as well? He says, all the more. Shouldn't your local church and your local ministry be supported? All the more is what Paul is saying. Now, if you're still with me and you haven't zoned out yet, I need you to focus right now. This is, this is where it all turns around. Right here in this text, Paul pulls a complete 180 on them. Here's what he says. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So here's what he does. He makes this whole case. And he says, shouldn't you support me? You got the soldier. You got the farmer, right? You got all these people that get supported by the things they invested. Don't you have a responsibility to me? And it just sounds like Paul wants a pay raise. And then he goes, but I don't want any of it. Which makes you ask the question, then why did we waste our time on this whole sermon? What is the point of any of this? Here's the deal. Remember, this is Pastor Paul. Paul loves his church. Like he, he knows them personally. He is friends with these people. He's been part of their journey. He loves them so much. This is not about Paul's pay raise. This is about their responsibility. And Paul knows because he loves them, he knows that when people are unfaithful to their responsibility, they are not positioned for the blessing of God in their lives. Whatever that might look like. And so Paul, because he loves them, makes this huge case, and it sounds like Paul wants their money, and he's like, but I don't want your money. I don't want any of it. Paul's like, I would never, and he says this, I would never want to be accused of peddling the gospel for financial gain. Never. So I'm just not going to take any of it. That's what he says. Because he goes, "I, I love you so much. You need to understand, this is God's call to you. And when you're responsible to God's call in your life, you will fulfill your purpose, and that's where peace is found. Listen, men in the room, listen. You will not ever find satisfaction by playing Call of Duty all night long or sleeping with another girl. Like, you're just not going to do it. Women in the room, you will never find satisfaction in enough shiplap in your house. Like, I know you're on Pinterest, but there's not enough shiplap on the face of the earth to give you a sense of satisfaction. And the reason is because none of these things are our purpose. But when you fulfill the function that God is calling you to live out in the local church, you will find the peace that your soul desperately wants. I promise you that. So you start to realize in the text, oh, Paul isn't about himself, he's about the people. He loves them. So let me be super real with you guys. I love our church. I really do. And I'm standing here today, and I've stood here, for 13 years, because I love you. I really do. I love our church. And over the, I'll be super just transparent, over the course of my time here in ministry at ACF, there have been seasons where I've chosen and our family's chosen not to take a paycheck, because either budget was tight at the church or whatever, we've got to pay payroll, and we've gone like, no, no, we should be the first to not, right? And then there's been seasons where I have and so the idea is we're called to do what we're called to do personally and you're called to do what you're called to do personally and then we're both set up and positioned for God's blessing. That's the call. And so I don't say that to build myself up or oh, I just say it because you need to understand that this comes from love. It comes from love. You see when someone really believes in Jesus, you can't pay them enough to preach or not enough to stop. They simply must share it. I'm up here, and here's the deal. I want you to know this. You can't pay me enough to share the gospel. You don't have enough money in your bank account to, to, to show the value of the message that I share every single week. Like you couldn't, you couldn't pile all the dollars in the universe up to be enough to match the value of the good news of the gospel. And you can't pay me too little to stop because I simply must share it. You see, there are people in the room here today that are like, well, Brian, must be nice that you're in ministry. I would tell people about Jesus if I was in ministry. No, 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 You have a responsibility right now to the people in your life, to your family, to your coworkers, to the people who are living next door to you to share the gospel faithfully. And when you really get what Jesus did for you, you can't help but share it. And here's what I love about this. This, this reflects God as well. Do you know that we have a God that you can't pay off? Do you know that you can't pay God enough to love you and you can't sin enough to get him to stop loving you. Like that's just the whole part of the good news is that it's a free gift. It's a free gift. So just receive it faithfully. If you want to grab your action card here today, I encourage you to do this. We do this every single week and you just tear this off the bottom and drop this in one of the baskets on the way out and all we want to do is text you that we're praying for you. That's it. This is just a simple way for us to to move forward every single week. Maybe today you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I'd encourage you to take that next step just to receive that free gift of grace. Check that box. We've got some resources for you. Maybe you need to show gratitude to a spiritual mentor. Here's my vision. I've said this at every service. I'm I'm, I'm so excited about the potential of this happening. What if everybody in the room today after church either made a phone call or sent a text to the person who led you to the Lord? Do you remember who they are? Or somebody that invested in you spiritually and just said, hey, I'm thinking about you today. Thank you so much. Do you need to take joy in the fruit of your labor? Maybe today you just need to allow yourself to enjoy what God has given you, not feel shame. But you know you're being faithful to him, and so he's just being faithful to you and blessing you. Maybe that's okay. And maybe you need to act generously to those who serve you. Maybe you're going to tip like crazy today, you know, like at lunch, or maybe you're going to serve your family today faithfully. Here's the thing. Um, again, this is my, my last sermon for a couple of months. I think God's going to do some really cool stuff at ACF over the next two months. You have an incredible team, by the way, that serves and leads here at ACF. And um, here's the deal. Uh, I think when something happens, because something's going to happen, where God's going to move, he's going to show up. Here's what's going to happen. Somebody inevitably will say this. See, we didn't need Brian. Somebody's going to say that. Which is true, right? Right? And so here's your line, okay? I need you to just kind of, you're gonna repeat after me so you're all rehearsed. Here's gonna be your line back to that person. Here's what you're gonna say. Say this. You idiot. It's never been about Brian in the first place. I really love you guys. I'm gonna leave you with that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the church. Thank you that Um, God, we can be a part of this thing that's bigger than any one of us. God, thank you that all the resources in the world would never be enough to match the uncomparable value of the gospel. Father, we carry the most important message in the universe. Forgive us for keeping it to ourselves. God, help us to share it, whether it be through words or through deeds may we as ACF Church reach our city with good news. God, could you fill us up with such gratitude for what you've done in our hearts that we can't help but give it away. I thank you for ACF. Thank you for this family. Thank you for all you've done in our church and all you will do in this church in the years to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.